Welcome to Source Not Found, a podcast where two friends talk about the worst versions of your favorite things. I am Bo Woodall, and I am Luke Kang's feathered, feathered hair. And I'm Brandon June, and I'm wearing $500 sunglasses, asshole. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Um, we are covering the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. Brandon, do you have any experience with this film? I, I had a very small amount. I have a very small anecdote to say, depending on your response. Had it on VHS and watched the hell out of it. So, but I mean, nothing beyond that. All right. So I know for a fact, as a nine to 10 year old boy, I went to see this film with my grandfather and my dad in theaters as a 10 year old. I found this out because my dad listened to our first episode and and basically kind of like, you know, reinforced my memory about this. I did not recall. But what I do recall is after the film, we didn't go back home. No, instead, my grandfather took us to a CD warehouse to buy the soundtrack for the film. And then we went back home. Priorities. Dude, he loved that soundtrack so much. <laughs> it's damn good i got it for christmas from him uh, a, another copy or was this the co- like different was he copy. A copy no he bought you, me or? a copy too yeah no okay. like but he had to get one for himself right no he still has that cd like righteous it's my granddad's a badass dude i guess for the soundtrack i do remember uh going to 4-h camp like a, a sleepover camp sleepaway camp and uh the the cool teenage guy that was like running our cabin or whatever would just blast this song every morning at what, like six in the morning to wake all of us up, all of us campers up. And it was the most hype way to get ready for the day. So wait, so you would wake up to test your might. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, if that didn't get you, cause you know, sometimes we're, we're out late at the campfire, you know, telling stories or whatever. But uh, if that didn't get you, the uh, the holler did, right? Yeah, the 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 very loud shouted Mortal Kombat. Yeah, of course. God damn that soundtrack! This soundtrack absolutely whips ass. There is no question. The soundtrack whips ass. It deserves the platinum it got. It is absolutely incredible. And it's a natural place to start a conversation about this movie because it is the first thing you hear. This movie starts off with a fucking bang. I guess yeah. I should say a fucking banger, right? Okay. Like, okay. The so screen, bef- the techno opening. Yeah. So before we get into the full film as well as everything, I do need to point out one thing. This soundtrack for the film was the first EDM soundtrack to ever gain platinum. Didn't know that. Ever. Absolutely wild. So this soundtrack is by a group called The Immortals. Maurice Pragakan Engelin and Olivier Adams. I'm sorry. I know I've, I've butchered some of that. Um, but perhaps Belgium's greatest export? I feel like, what are we thinking? Waffles or MK Soundtrack? Well, okay, so it's not just... They were not the only people on the soundtrack. Because you also have Orbital. Like, one of the biggest names in early EDM ever. They were on the Hackers soundtrack. I will have something to say about that a little bit later toward the end of the, the film. But this... If we can consider this album as being an export of Belgium... I think it beats chocolates and waffles. Yeah. Uh, a few surprise, but it, it has been earned. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it was a collaborative effort, but I like to highlight the Immortals because, I mean, they're responsible for techno syndrome. 
the yeah, that track, first, Mortal Kombat, that first the one track we all know and love. Fucking lit. Yeah, I was reading about this track. So apparently, Engelin had like left for a meeting with his record label, and Adams did the song by himself on his Atari ST computer. God, that's cool. And I was like looking at them on Wikipedia, right? Just like a cursory glance, and like Pragakan, Maurice Engelin has like a long prolific career. His own personal Wikipedia page, lots of albums, still working currently. Adams has jack shit, not even a personal Wikipedia entry. And it's like, what the fuck? That's the song. We're like, we're treating Adams like Ringo. And by all accounts, he's fucking Lennon and McCartney. Both. (laughs) (laughs) Another random thing about that soundtrack, the song Juke Joint, Juke Joint Jezebel. That's a tough one. That's a tongue twister. That is a tongue twister. (laughs) It's my new audio warm up. (laughs) It's not great. Juke Joint Jezebel. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Um, <laughs> Juke Joint Jezebel, as an out as a song, was actually they made a music video for it, played on MTV, but it was banned from MTV no because they used Mortal Kombat fight scenes and they thought it was too violent. This was, I mean, this was during the the joint sessions of Congress coming to, to talk about violence in video games, right? This yeah, is, damn. Yeah. So the movie we're covering today, Mortal Kombat 1995. This movie follows three fighters, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade, as they protect the Earth realm from being taken over by the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung for his uh, beloved emperor Shao Kahn. Shang Tsung has to win 10 consecutive generational Mortal Kombats. They have won nine. So Liu Kang, Sonya Blade, and Johnny Cage are the three fighters on a leaky boat to save the world with the assistance of the thunder and lightning god, Raiden. So this this movie opens with something a little surprising. Okay, so it opens with a fight between a young Chinese man in a pretty classical, not gi necessarily but like a tai chi out outfit versus a dude in a badass black leather jacket with the best hair that i have ever seen it's a badass opening scene badass outfits but i have to correct you this movie does not start with that scene this movie starts with the fucking dragon emblem bursting out of the flames God damn it yeah it does that banger of a track we're talking about and the text slicing in like blades mortal combat dude okay the opening intro whips ass all timer yes we talked before when we were talking about the novel how good the cover was right that dragon design but man to see it animated live on screen it immediately establishes the tone like you're in for a ride buckle up yeah but right from there we're dropped right into awesome kung fu action or is it awesome kung fu action it is kung fu action but it's kind of uh kind of sad well the first the first kung fu action is kind of sad yeah yeah um, so we, we, we jump into, uh, dude in orange Tai Chi gi versus a man in a badass black leather jacket who absolutely snaps this little dude's spine. Yeah. Grabs him by the hair, pulls him up. And the kid just says, Lou. Now, as we're all aware, thanks to the wonderful Jeff Rovin, that's Lou Kang. The guy's yelling for, for Lou Kang. And the guy points to the screen and says, your brother's soul is mine. We have a Shang Tsung. 
And there's no confusing who the protagonist is in this one. He's pointing directly at the screen. At at both us and Liu Kang. Yes. We are focalizing through Liu Kang in this one. So so my first thing, this Shang Tsung is far too handsome. However, despite the fact that he is not incongruously skull-like whatsoever, before the scene is over, he t- turns into a skull. <laughs> Just had to get that in. Yeah, he's a handsome man. I think uh, Japanese actor, right? Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, or yes. of Japanese descent. So apparently, he was the first choice for Shang Tsung. And they actually retconned the voice work to sound more like him in future games. Nice. And he came back for MK11, too. Yeah. He was also brought back in the TV show Mortal Kombat Legacy in Season 2 as Shang Tsung again. Right, right. To Tobias and Boone of Midway Manufacturing Company. He is Shang Tsung. Yeah. No question. And if that wasn't enough, he also coaches the martial artist portraying Shang Tsung in the Mortal Kombat Live tour. Yes. And just, you know, in all that free time he has, has also been developing his own form, new form of martial arts called Chun Xin. So just... Oh, not to mention the fact that he was Johnny Tsunami's dad. That one, that reference is probably going to go over my head. Yeah, no, it was a Disney Channel movie. It was really good. Okay, I missed that one. Yeah, no, it was really good. Um, But basically, this entire thing is just a prologue to Liu Kang waking up with a bad dream, right? A bad dream and a telegram. Brother dead, return home, grandfather. Exposition, achievement unlocked. Uh, Hey, hey, Jeff Roven, are you taking notes? Like, uh, (laughs) establishing the stakes doesn't necessarily have to take 30% of the book. Like, this... Quick to the point, we know what we're in for. It, like, it was reminding me, there's that famous anecdote, and it usually gets attributed to Ernest Hemingway, of like, any writer worth their salt could write a story in only six words. And his contribution was, baby shoes for sale, never worn. Right. I heard that one. Uh, folks, I think we have a new contender here. Brother dead, return home, grandfather. Six words, story told, the end. That's five, actually. Undercut, beat Hemingway by a whole word. <laughs> so we get the whole introduction together it's very very good it's very concise it's exactly what we need for a film like this right we don't need a full chapter then we get to a scene that encapsulates the era that this movie is made in we meet sonya blade and one of those very you you nailed it those like industrial 90s movie raves it is absolutely 90s and 90s and 90s and 90s it has edm music flashing lights a lot of dudes and girls with long hair and a swat team breaking in trying to find kano we meet kano as soon as they breach the club kano gets a call on his cell phone saying that she's here now i have a question about kano one he has to say how do you feel about that, Mr. Shang Song? So let's, you know, let's call that out. But also, what is his accent? I'm usually bad at this game, but uh, is it Australian? It's, <laughs> I genuinely don't know right now. Join, join us a little bit later on the episode for a fun trivia fact. But um, he sounds Australian or English some sort of weird mixture of the two. Um, I was thinking like uh, non-American Anglo fusion. 
Yeah, sure. That sounds about right. Which is odd, considering he's a Japanese-American that was deported from both countries and devoted to a life of crime within Japan from the age of five, at least according to the novel. Don't know when he picked up the, uh, the Australian accent. Yeah, I, I am very, very confused by the whole accent that he has going on. But we are introduced officially to Shang Tsung now, and there's some weird shit that goes on here. Shang actually says that he needs Sonya's body, and that is, that's not a great thing to say. No. Uh, and he doesn't explain why he needs her. He just says he needs her, and then... <laughs> When Kano straight up says, like, well, maybe I'll have a good time with her on this ride to Mortal Kombat. Shang straight up says, if you so much as touch her, Kano, you're going to need a seeing eye dog. One of the best thing I've seen in this film so far is Kano's eye twitch. <laughs> when Shang Tsung says that it is absolute perfection. The actor should get an award for that eye twitch alone. Even, uh, you know, reading the novel, I couldn't forget this Kano. This was my first Kano. You never forget your first. Yeah. So I, all Kanos will be compared against this Kano. That's, that's the thing, man. Like, I have a hard time seeing the Japanese-American Kano whenever I see this Kano. Because this mm -hmm. Kano seems like a real Kano. Kano is an archetype, the likes of which Joseph Campbell envisioned. Kano is more of an idea, really. Yeah. So by the end of this scene, five minutes of screen time, we've already established several characters and established them well. We know yes, the stakes. Yes, I agree 100%. Not to mention... This movie's moving. This movie is moving, and we seem to have an idea that all of these characters are coming together in a reasonable manner. Then we get to move on to... God bless us, Johnny Cage. Mm, oh, I love this intro. Not only is the intro I love good, this character. I have... This character is so despicably lovable. I love him so much. Mm -hmm. But it's just like we get introduced to all of these all of these characters. And then all of a sudden we get an am like an American actor, basically. And this entire scene is a fun little fight scene, you know. Yeah, we've got him on set fighting against, you know, random henchmen. Yeah, yeah. A normal fight scene for a movie. They do ape Steven Spielberg, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> the, the director in the chair like had the salt and pepper beard of Spielberg and the hat on and every like it was it was very good. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was noticing that um, a series of great one liners, right? Just him walking out like let's dance and like cue the intro like it's that very 90s action movie henchmen kind of stalking around the they title all character. They their like, weapons one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this is, this is peak one-liner, right? The one henchman forgets to drop down to the floor after Johnny dispatches him, right? This is where you fall down, which is a great line, but the fact that it's derived from the mistake of this actor on set adds this extra layer of like diegesis, right? It's yeah. coming out of this like genuine moment. It's not like a scripted moment. And the fact that they call back to it later. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's chef's kiss. It is unquestionably not only a good line, but fun. Like they are they are unquestionably having fun with this film. It may not be the most beautifully like the cinematography may not win any awards and the acting may not win any awards. But God, they're having a good fucking time. And I, yeah. and, and I can appreciate that. 
And I mean, that really gets us our trio, these three character introductions. Yeah, we get Liu Kang, we get Sonya Blade, and we get Johnny Cage. We have our our three warriors. Which we didn't really talk about it, but Liu Kang, Robin Show, one of my favorites as a kid. I thought he was so fucking cool. And it's weird to say I was a fan because really, I guess I've only seen like two movies. It was this, and it was Beverly Hills Ninja. But I loved both of those movies so much, and he was great in both of them. That's all it took. Robin Show does so much work in this film. We haven't even gotten to yet. He is unquestionably not only the main character of the movie, but he is also literally the star, mm-hmm. off camera and on. Um, I do love the fact that we leave Johnny Cage, or we're with Johnny Cage, and he goes off because somebody has gotten on set without his approval, whatever. He gets there. Someone is holding up the best prop in the history of props. And it is a picture of Johnny Cage holding his hands up like a uh, <laughs> like an anime cat video meme sort of thing. <laughs> and it just says Johnny yes. Cage is a fake. And the dude lowers his his newspaper and it's his form. It's Johnny Cage's former master, his former sensei. Mm-hmm. And this former sensei says, hey, there's a boat coming. Here's a way to prove you're not a fake. Get on this boat, Hong Kong, tomorrow for this combat. And it's called Mortal Kombat. We are 10 minutes into the movie and they're already talking about Mortal Kombat. Jeff Rovin, take notes. Finally. God damn it. It's about time. (laughs) Yeah, it is about time. We have some actual talk about Mortal Kombat. Uh. We get a picture of the sensei walking away like he is made of several different rodents put into a human suit. And then all of a sudden he turns into Shang Tsung. So Shang Shang Tsung can apparently shapeshift into souls he he has taken. Assumedly, he has taken the sensei's soul, right? Right. It's never said. scene to just establish this set of powers, which reminded me, I didn't even recognize it at the time, but what a missed opportunity. There was nothing in the novel about this aspect of Shang Tsung. Nothing. And like that is a key character component. That's what makes Shang Tsung so cool. So he can use other alluring, people's movesets. Right? right. That was his whole deal. And just nothing for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have a great villain established. And we have, I mean, this is really, this makes a great case for making those difficult cuts when it comes to deciding what characters to include, right? How many sequels have we seen? Your X-Men 3s, right? Your Spider-Man 3s. Usually it's numbers three. Um, that just go overboard and try and do too much in a single story, try and include too many characters. And I think the novel had that problem where it was trying to bring in too many principal characters and didn't know what to do with them. It had the problem of having a Kung Lao and a Liu Kang when they both, in reality, kind of fit that same trope, the same sort of uh, more stoic, martial arts-focused, no-nonsense warrior protagonist. And having Kung Lao and Liu Kang together, they didn't know what to do. Jeff Rovin didn't really know what to do with Liu Kang and made him kind of quippy. But here we fully offload that onto Johnny Cage and let Liu Kang do what he does best. Sure. Liu Kang is still quippy, though. Liu, Liu, Kang, well, yeah. Liu Kang is is sassy as shit in this film. Like That's he, true. He is a no-nonsense fighter. But when it comes to his characterization outside of the ring, he is as sassy, if not sassier, than Johnny Cage. I guess I should say that's true. His quips seem derived from his character. He's not making Twizzler references. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, there's no Twizzlers. <laughs> so the, there's there's, that. there's also no Kung Lao at all. Right. Like that is completely there's no history to this 
um, this film. We are we are starting off relatively fresh. And I don't think it's needed. I don't think it is either. Had I not read Jeff Rovin's masterpiece prior to watching this, it would not have even phased me. Um, so after we get the whole Shang Tsung thing, he leaves Johnny Cage. Do we think Liu Kang is approaching the Jackie Chan temple? <laughs> Obviously. I mean, that, that has More to be right? considering we're we're now in the magic of movies We're we're in movie magic now. And that is Jackie Chan's territory. And, you know, I didn't even mention it last time, but the, the thing that makes it even more ridiculous is the fact that Jackie Chan, that's that's his American movie name, right? His, uh-huh. his Chinese name is Chung Long, which is just like, Jeff, you didn't even you didn't even try to go that far, man. So there are some really interesting points when Liu Kang gets to the Temple of Light. He is the chosen one, apparently, because he received the dream. So Liu Kang is our is our replacement for Kung Lao for this film. He is definitely that. And then we get introduced as Liu Kang is so pissed off about his brother dying and him being shunt into this and about how all of the monks are so focused on this saving the world mortal combat bullshit like why should i be involved sort of thing i went to america for a reason Mm -hmm. raiden shows up now so far we've been mostly praising this movie with how how clear and defined and the pacing of it everything is like how this movie's just moving establishing characters very quickly very clearly without a lot of filler but this is the first scene where I just, I felt as a viewer, very confused. Because according to the novel Mortal Kombat, Raiden is a localized deity of sorts from Chujung in the district of Tanyang, China. He's white? Yeah, I, he, is, he is very white, for one. Um, but he is wearing his black beggar's clothes. That's true. I mean, that, the beggar's clothes are back. That carried over, which surprised the hell out of me. Maybe that's in the user guide for Mortal Kombat for the Sega Genesis or something. But and of course that iconic hat. The icon <laughs> gotta have the hat. This performance though, I mean, I would say along with Tagala, he's the most accomplished and prolific actor on the cast, right? Yeah, I, I'd say I, I can't imagine another person in the cast that has more experience in front of a camera than either of them. Right. So what the fuck is he doing? I, like, I did make a note that uh, Raiden's hair has more life than his face in this opening scene. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I was trying to figure out what he's going for and I can't figure it out. Like Lambert's delivery. I, I thought he was a uh, generous read here. Generous read. I really thought he was trying to take the approach of an immortal that didn't have much to worry about. Like, even if the Earth realm failed, he's still an immortal in the immortal realm. Eh, I'll pick it up later. He is, he's a real light and breezy deity. He is the lightest and breeziest of deities. Yes. Those, we have what's called a shit-eating grin, right? Yeah. Can you have a shit-eating laugh? The... Because if so, he's got a <laughs> shit-eating laugh. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it was? That... Let's, can, can we just, uh, let's listen to it. Okay. Here real quick. I feel like neither of us has the the acting chops. Sir Christopher Lambert. I mean, we can't do it justice. I feel like we just need to listen to this in action. I agree. 
the fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get it? What is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. It it reminded me of a, of another performance. Oh come on, that's too mean. <laughs> No, I, I know exactly what this scene is. That is too mean. It reminded me of Tommy Wiseau in The Room, specifically the scene where he's on the rooftop listening to Mark's story. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> what a story, Mark. I'm sorry, you can't tell me that's not Tommy Wiseau. It's dangerously close. Yeah, it's kind of like we're in uh, Highlights Magazine territory, right? Like, look at these two images on adjacent pages, name the, the 10 differences. I'm like, okay, yeah, hair color and, I don't know, headwear. But uh, <laughs> major similarities. Very, very similar. Just the... <laughs> it's just so good. Like, uh. But I guess it is an interesting take. I mean, is it preferable to him having chosen the route to go like stoic god figure like just the lean into the typical trope i mean maybe this is more fun right he's having I, fun with it i i like what he's doing actually like i guess i like it i just don't know what it is the first scene with <laughs> luke hang i i struggle with a little bit because he he's just there there seems like there's too much restraint every other scene he is in I enjoy seeing him because it seems like he is having way too good of a time to be a stoic god. <laughs> that being said, Liu Kang basically spits in the face of both his grandfather, the entire order of light, and Raiden and says, screw you guys. I'm going to find my brother's killer. I'm going to Mortal Kombat as a chosen one and the representative for the order of light. Deuces, I'm out. Taking a cue from novel Kung Lao. Taking dissenter. a very a strong here. cue from Novel Kung Lao. Mm -hmm. uh, we get there. We see Johnny Cage. We see Liu Kang. Johnny Cage meets a dude who's holding his tabloid with that weird kitty cat pose. I, I love this first interaction between Johnny Cage and Liu Kang. Just the uh, Johnny Cage handing over his bags to Liu Kang. Liu Kang dropping them in the water. And then Johnny Cage's follow-up line. Thank God I didn't ask him to park the car. So like... He's such an asshole to, to do this, but also kind of an endearing one because like yeah. he's able to laugh that off and just like have that at the ready. He just, like, that he, puts just him in, like, he just lost thousands of dollars of clothes and his response is that's very funny. He's one of the most lovable dickheads in like he in is, recent memory for me. That like, is this actually, is up there with like Bruce Campbell level of Yeah. I think Johnny Johnny Cage as a character for the entire film is the character I hate to love, love to hate, lovable dickhead. Absolutely the everyman audience perspective character. And he's also genuinely probably the smartest character in the entire film. Mm -hmm. He regularly makes choices that other characters would not imagine making. But yeah, and has moments of genuine courage and even gets praised by Raiden at one point right? yeah. as being the one who gets it. Right? Yeah. Uh, so they're all there hanging out, waiting. And then suddenly a dragon ship shows up with smoke machines behind it. Talking about peak 90s set design, we have the 90s industrial rave. And now we've got like this, that beautiful tactile physicality of like 80s, 90s fantasy 
adjacent Dude, I, set design. I know Shang Tsung is the bad guy, but the dude's got fucking style. That so much style. That well, we knew this already. Yeah, I mean, look at his leather. His leather coat is so good. His fucking bone throne is probably on that ship somewhere, right? I'm assuming whale blubber. Dude, no shit. Somewhere. I am looking for the bone throne through this entire film. <laughs> um. So important things about the boat ride, nothing, nothing too crazy. We can actually move through it pretty fast. I will say, though, when Sonya finds Shang Tsung on the ship, it's like coolly calm, menacing delivery and the lighting in that scene. It's so well done. I, I have to say, man, the cinematography in this movie is incredible. Like they did some great shit with lighting and shots and just in general, it's it's a fun film. Shout out to John R. Leonetti. Arlie and Eddie. Good shit throughout this film. Yeah. Arlie and Eddie, I raise a glass to you, my friend. Well played. Well done. Uh, so on the boat, Shang Tsung introduces Sub-Zero and Scorpion, which is frustrating because they should, he does say they're deadly enemies, but they're under his command for some reason. Uh, they both look pretty badass, like it pretty good. Sub-Zero freezes Sonya's gun. The, uh, a, a living harpoon thing with mouth comes out of scorpion's hand it looks great for 1995 like this is a cool fucking scene raiden shows up shuts those boys down hard with peak sci-fi channel original series like aesthetics oh absolutely but for for 95 (laughs) this shit probably blew my ass away oh absolutely i will say one point about sub-zero and and scorpion i was kind of disappointed especially coming from the novel where like scorpion was such a well-developed character but yeah. considering we're talking about how well this movie streamlines and the choices it makes, I think if you're going to make a cut somewhere like these two characters, just in their visual design and their their move sets, they're so iconic. And so like they command presence on the screen just on that dimension alone, that turning them into mind slaves and having them just sort of like these enemies to be toppled on the journey towards the big bad, I think is a smart choice. I, I, it has to be a smart choice. Yeah. Like they are visually similar and mm-hmm. they they work in the same sort of area combat wise. So, hey, let's let's put them in the same place. Let's make them bad guys. Let's make it work. And and let's put them under Shang Tsung. So for the game in the future, we don't have to worry about anything necessarily being canon. We right. can do whatever the hell we want with them in the future. It's a very smart move, like literarily speaking. And I don't find myself wanting, as a viewer, I don't find myself needing to know whether or not he enjoys tarantula stew. True. I was looking for his inflatable boots. Did not was see looking for those. Yeah. Like, what are you doing on this ship? You have your own means of transport. Dude, you can walk across the ocean. What are you doing? Uh, the boat ride is mostly exposition after you meet them. Raiden explains to them that Shang Tsung does not need a set amount of souls like Rovins did. Instead, he needs to win 10 consecutive Mortal Kombats. I do have to correct you there, though. Go ahead. Because Raiden, he doesn't say Shang Tsung. He says Shang Tsung or something of the sort. I was trying to remember. It's a weird, like, halfway correct pronunciation. Like, like a kid that just got back from study abroad and is, like, feeling himself a little bit like let me let me go a little pretentious but sort of like halfway through it gets a little gun shy he's the guy who comes back from england after study abroad and he has the same accent (laughs) hello friends but this is the only thing so far in the film that i like better than rovin's take i like the idea of 10 wins in a row versus a pure soul count i had the same note i totally agree with you so i did the math 
generationally is what it's supposed to be, right? So they have mm-hmm. to win 10 generational held combats to win. So that means based on the fact that this takes place in 1995 as the 10th tournament, the Earth Realm has been taking place in Mortal Kombat since 1750. That is not long enough. Mm. That is maybe it should be a hundred generate like a hundred consecutive wins. And then you're looking at 3000 years because that's what it is, right? Like you have to win consecutively for 300 years because it it mentions that generations are 30 years or so. So like interesting, it's 1750 doesn't seem like it's long enough, but I love the number. Like I love the, the definition. Like there's no, there's no wiggle room here. Like, Oh, well, Shang Tsung needs to spend a couple extra years because he's missing three souls. Instead, Mm -hmm. it is a very distinct set. He has to win 10 consecutive tournaments. That is very, very well done. And it is very smart for storytelling purposes. I agree. And even more so than the number, what I like about it is it puts the focus on what we all came for. The, the tournament, combat. like in the novel, yeah. the tournament was almost sort of irrelevant, not irrelevant, but like there were other means for opening the portal. And even like the pivotal climactic scene when everyone's getting sucked into the portal, right? Like the fact that they all got almost sucked in through that portal absent a tournament and allowed Shao Kahn to invade took the focus off of the primary driving force behind the series, behind the story. So now it's like all the stakes are here on the tournament. This is what that matters. was the biggest failure I think on the side of the novelization by Jeff Rofen was the fact that there was no real tournament. Mm-hmm. Like there was mention of it in part one, right before Kung Lao got his heart ripped out of his chest. Spoilers. Um, but there was a little bit of talk of that. And that's how he technically died was the last round of the combat. But there was nowhere near enough mortal combat for it to be immortal combat. We are getting into the combat a half hour into this film after introducing a pretty good sized number of characters who are all going to be combatants and they all have names. They all have desires. They all have goals and they all have reasons to be fighting, which is massive. And it is Mm -hmm. something I think that was missing from the novel. Agreed. Uh, I want to point out they when they do arrive to the the place where uh, Mortal Kombat takes place. We assume it's Shinomura Island, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what we've learned from Mr. Roven. It is absolutely fucking picturesque. Yeah, it is. It is stunningly beautiful. Uh, apparently, they did most of the filming in Thailand for the, the Shinomura Island Mortal Kombat sections on the beaches and stuff. It is mm-hmm. absolutely, unquestionably beautiful. And it does a good job of establishing, establishing this place as like an exotic, but sort of... Um ethereal sort of outside of this plane of existence kind of place the fact that they get off and the compasses are all going haywire and it's so isolated you know i do love this scene though i love cage getting off the boat with all of his bags and like that that little yelp he gives as he topples over into the water yeah just again the running theme of this episode is probably going to be effusive praise for johnny cage johnny cage is unquestionably my favorite part of the entire film but um as they are walking through being introduced to this, this whole thing, we get to see, oh, my God, another female character. Jeff, are you listening? Take notes. 
there can be other female characters. We get to meet briefly Katana. And just through a couple of looks to which Johnny Cage says, if a woman looks at you like that, it means something. It's a very mm-hmm. good line. It means absolutely nothing. Like it is a complete throwaway line, but damn it. It's a good it's a good line. And then we have the welcome feast to the Mortal Kombat. Sub-Zero freezes a guy. That happens. They all sneak away. Kano is eating a turkey leg. And we get our first vision of Goro. The lead up to this feast. I'm loving the vibes here. And uh, the music. It's like um, almost like an Indonesian gamelan. Like very percussive. Full of like xylophones and gongs. Like if we could just listen to like 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. I mean, that's awesome. That gets me amped up. It's like setting the, the tone for this. Well, there's there's like there's bells and chimes and almost like like big kettle drums. And it mm-hmm. doesn't seem frenetic. It just seems to like build in like an almost an inspiring. It's just a it's just the music for this movie fucking kicks ass. It's so good. Yeah. So what a good setup for this scene, like the lighting and everything. And then. Here we go. Like we're starting things off. Yeah. It's uh the opening feast at Hogwarts. We're yeah. <laughs> it is it is very much the opening feast for Hogwarts, like that that feel. And even even Shang Tsung is like, here is a taste of things to come. Treasure these moments as if they were your last. Like Live in the he's, moment. He's not hiding anything. And I, I'm sorry, Shang Tsung is just fucking VIP. Like acting wise characterization wise he is nailing every scene he's chewing every bit of scenery he can be in it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful yes also can i get like a a framed canvas print of that quote like an eat pray love style something to put on the the wall maybe like above like the kitchen island or something treasure these moments as if they were your last (laughs) shang song 1995 (laughs) um so we, we, we move on. Kano wasn't there because, of course, he wasn't. Sonya would find him and try to murder him. I do want to say this, this, the battle between Sub-Zero and the random henchmen, I love the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark energy. Like, <laughs> all of the, the kung fu shit on, like, one side of the room and just, like, standing back and then just... Launching an ice grenade at him? <laughs> yeah. Just peek indie, like, all right, I, I see your sword and I raise you firearm. Oh, it's so good. And the Shang Sun, he actually says flawless victory. This is peak fan service. It's so good. It references the source material, but it doesn't really require a novel of the source material and like yeah. fits the situation at hand. Like this is how you do it, folks. Well, so Shang Sun has a lot of those moments where he uses direct he <laughs> lines from the from the games. All um, the lines are here. <laughs> but yeah, that just the ice grenade tossing it there is 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 very, very good. But yeah, the Goro reveal, it's well done it's like less godly and more like stalking mindless beast energy yeah he seems like late roven goro less like early roven goro (laughs) right uh he is much more of a i'm gonna punch things until they die from it as opposed to i am the general of a large number of armies i'm the master of the shokan 
I'm not only a prince, but I'm like in line for the throne. And this this Goro doesn't know Shokan. This Goro couldn't spell Shokan if his life depended on it. Um, I love that even just the camera, the setup, like the camera from his viewpoint, watching out through the grating and like the fingers grazing along. Yeah, it's very good. Like like a xenomorph just like kind of stalking around its prey. And plus seeing those those three fat fingers. (laughs) Just like the viewer wouldn't know, but we know because thanks, Jeff. Jeff has Jeff has helped us through this. Um, But there's not much to that scene. With Kano and Goro and Shang Tsung basically saying why he hired Kano. Um, but he does mention, he does mention something very important to Goro. Beware of Liu Kang because he is the descendant of Kung Lao at this tournament. That is the first, the first mention of Kung Lao in this film. One of two, despite the fact that Kung Lao is according to Ed Boon and John Tobias of Midway Manufacturing Company, the main character of Mortal Kombat. Right. I know you said there's not much there and you're right. But for whatever reason, and I don't know, as I was watching this to refresh my memory, because it's been a while, I was realizing like how many of these scenes like stuck with me and were like kind of still fresh in my brain all these years later. And for some reason, Kano eating that fucking turkey leg stuck with me. I could visualize it before even jumping back into the film. All like the grease, the spitting, the grizzle and and him spitting out a piece of the grizzle into like a, a spit cup. And it goes, <laughs> he's got a grizzle spittoon. <laughs> I mean, it, that's that's one way to establish a character like has a has a good character in film ever eaten a giant turkey leg. Like, I feel like that's a trope, right? Is this a trope? I, this I a thing? cannot imagine a legs? good character ever doing that. But there's also mine was his line of I'd like to get back to amassing now. Like, or I'd like to get back to amassing as soon as possible. I feel like that line, for some reason, was stuck in my brain. And when he said that, I was like, oh, fuck, I've seen this movie before. It's been a long time, but I've seen this movie before. I know that line. And it's a bad line. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there, but right, there isn't much there. I do like um, the trio, our trio, like wandering through this palace and like the kind of natural bridge they cross. I like these just little scenes these interstitial scenes maybe five seconds or so that establish like the sort of the environment and the atmosphere so well and yeah. they're just like visually interesting like the problem in the novel was like we had an we had a description dump at the outset and then not like additional description peppered in as much to like sure. reinforce and continually sort of evolve our understanding of like this place setting so i like these little scenes like they stand out i think this sequence of scenes actually sets up a lot more for our three heroes than it honestly needed to like the line as Mm -hmm. they're walking through through the cobwebs looking for katana and johnny cage is like she went through here i can smell her perfume and they get back to the room where kano was and sonya blade is like i smell something too bullshit it's just (laughs) it's it's perfect it's a good line it doesn't seem contrived. It almost seems like they ad-libbed that. And yeah. Bridget Wilson was just like playing with it. Like it was just very, very good. But that fight scene with them versus ninjas. The Foot Clan, right? Yeah. It's good. It's, it is. It's very good. It's well choreographed and also shows them coming together as a team to take yeah. down this, it is a, this force. Right? It is a great sequence of scenes. I have no notes for that. Just good. Yeah. 
So after this whole thing, we get a little more about Raiden and what they're all like, what their weaknesses are. Like Johnny's his ego. Sonya can't ask for help. And Liu Kang is so fucking concerned with his destiny. None of that shit really matters that much right now. Concerned with his destiny and just continually told he's not ready. Just in case you ever forget, you are reminded consistently through the film. None of them are ready. ready. (laughs) None of them are ready. They never will be ready. But the more important thing about this entire sequence is it leads up to, holy shit, we have Mortal Kombat. Hell yeah. So we start off with Liu Kang versus Eddie Gordo. Round one. But he's not Eddie Gordo because Eddie Gordo is from a different game. But he looks just like fucking Eddie Gordo. Um, They both have bad hair choices for this fight, apparently. (laughs) Neither of them can really see through their hair. And they kill the first black dude who fights. Hmm. Not just kill, but suck his soul out of his body. Right. No dimension to this Shang Tsung. Like, no, we talked about the novel Shang Tsung, like maybe having a hint of uh, humanity behind the incongruously skull-like shape of that visage. But this one, no, just a big bad. Also, he's not on a bone throne, but his throne does have peacock feathers attached to it. I don't know if that's in place of the whale blubber or the (laughs) panda fur. It could be both. Not sure. That is out. I find they work best in tandem to get maximum cushion sure, lumbar yeah. support. But, Makes uh, sense. you know, if you got to make a choice, I go feathers, I think. Uh, next fight is Sonya versus Kano. This is the one. This is a great, great fight. It is a great fight. Kano has Austin Powers chest hair. That is my first <laughs> note. <laughs> he does. It's that weird T shape, but yeah. doesn't touch his nipples, really. <laughs> It's real bad. Um, <laughs> um, I love that uh, Kano references killing her partner, too. The, in the novel, it was her husband. And I feel like this is so fiance. much better for, like... Fiance. Well, fiance. Right. They didn't... They didn't tie the knot because he was too busy. He was, he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, fiance. But this is so much better for establishing, like, her sense of agency, right? Just partner. It's, like, focused on her, like, her yeah. role in this... Sonya's all business. I mean, she seemed all business through the beginning of the film. Like, mm-hmm. she does not seem like she has any sort of an emotional capacity except for Johnny Cage. Like, she is yeah. able to banter with him, where outside of Johnny Cage's relationship with her, like, I think the first line she says to Jax is, There's only one person in the world that I trust, and you're talking to her. Even though he's her new partner, like, she, she has no real human connections outside of her other two champions effectively mm. mm-hmm. um but you're right um her it's almost like han solo and leia energy right in yeah it her is and very Johnny much Cage's relationship like even on that initial boat ride in like do i look like your secretary do i look like your travel agent you know the do i look like your travel agent fucking destroyed me <laughs> yeah but you can see like him sort of being the uh the method for her like kind of releasing some of that pent up like that desire yeah. to have that sort of next layer of a relationship with someone, but uh, she's got that that wall, and so it comes out through... And, and, Johnny through is trying, and Johnny's trying to break that, and he seems mm-hmm. to be doing a pretty good job of it. Um, mm-hmm. The sound that Sonya makes when Kano kicks her in the stomach, I don't know if that is a stock noise, like the, the Wilhelm scream. If it's not a stock sound, it should be. Because it is visceral. <laughs> when she makes that like it is. sound, not only is it feminine, 
but realistic and visceral. Like it hurt me to hear that noise, but she straight up just like snaps old boy's neck, right? The scissor kick down to the choke out to the neck crack. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. It, it's heartless and ruthless and a little unexpected for a hero to do, but welcome, I think, in this case. It's a good fight, but uh, nothing I, I compared think none of to these fights. Yeah. Nexus Cage versus Scorpion. This is um, all timer. So, why do you think they introduced the living harpoon to Scorpion? Because I, I, I genuinely think like the fishing implement, like the the barbed, hooked, maybe kind of rusted fishing implement that Roven used mm-hmm. as Scorpion's tool would have been so much gnarlier. Do you think mm-hmm. it was just for like the CG and for like got to get those kids in here? I do think we have a case of we have the ability to animate some fun new creatures and we are just leaning heavily into that like if it can be animated through cg we're doing that yeah so like yeah why have a harpoon when you can have like a a living breathing little critter inside there kind of like i I don't have a problem with him necessarily like it's simplistic enough where it doesn't look like absolute garbage cg like reptile Mm -hmm. does Mm mm-hmm uh, by the way, we didn't talk about Reptile. He is a Gex reject. We don't talk about him until he becomes a ninja. <laughs> it's tail time. Yeah, I I have <laughs> Jesus. I have nothing wrong with Scorpion's harpoon. I'm just curious why they maybe went with the living thing instead. Um, yeah, I wonder also if it's like, is it a chicken and egg scenario? Like what came first, the animated Scorpion harpoon or the badass location of all of these symmetrical rows of trees laid out because it works very well in that environment, like darting out and around the trees. Whereas, sure. whereas if you had a like A to B linear sort of straightforward deployment of it, maybe there would be less dramatic stakes, right? There's sure. more like darting in and out of the tree line in this. But just a round of applause for the location scouts. Shout out to Rocky Brooks, Garrett V. Folsom, Kevin Halloran, and J. Mark Strachan, Strachan, the location crew. Y'all outdid yourselves with this one. This setting is so good. The the next location, one, well, two things happen. One, Johnny Cage uses a shadow kick. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time we see one of our heroes use a special move. I had to Google this shit because I don't play the game. But apparently Johnny Cage uses the reason his name is actually John Clayton. Oh, see, I didn't know this. He goes by Johnny Cage because Cage is based on Kage, which is Japanese for shadow. I didn't know that. I didn't realize Cage was a reference to Kage. That's so interesting. That's why all of his like movesets are based around like shadow forms. Like he can right. make shadow versions of himself and he does like the shadow kick and stuff. Initially, this scene was supposed to end with the shadow kick. And then Scorpion and Johnny Cage are portaled into what looks to be like a helm, a hell realm, which honestly may be my favorite fight scene of the entire film. It's yeah, so fucking good. Tier. One of my favorites. And another one that a scene that just stood out to me. I could just visualize this place setting. The lighting, I, the, the tent and the tone is another perfect. shout out. John R. Leonetti legend. R. Leonetti, get it. Get it. Where, where do we think they are? Cause you say it's like a hellish lair, but like they're pulled in through scorpion. Like, Almost like his internal world of sorts. 
So is that, this like that's, a metaphor? Is this like man? I there's was, all the scaffolding. I was working too. Roven real hard. I was working Roven real hard in my brain, and I was thinking maybe this is where Scorpion's dad's soul actually is until he is able to like provide the comfort to you. That makes a lot of sense because uh, we've got all this the scaffolding. So it's like I have unresolved caregiver issues. Sure. I'm like desperately seeking validation and uh, I'm working on myself. Right. In here. <laughs> there, there could also be a different reason for that, but we'll, we'll get into that later. I'll come back to it. Um, but this fight scene is incredible. We get our first real fatality, but it's a friendship. Yeah. Johnny Cage straight up murders Scorpion after Scorpion tries to blow fire on him. Scorpion's blood is lava because of course it is. But yeah. after he kills him, he leaves behind a, fi- a picture that says to my greatest fan and signed right. Johnny Cage. Like <laughs> So good. The whole thing is set to Fear Factory's zero signal. We got the just the raging new metal going. Yeah. The get down here, like the variation on the famous line to like bring Johnny down to that lower level where they're fighting and then just pulling off the cow to reveal the skull. I remember that getting me as a kid like, what? It's just a skull under there? Also, the skull's brow moves when it gets angry. Right. Which is just, there's as an adult, there's no need for that. But as a human being, it's so yes. fucking cool. And then just the slice with the fucking saw blade shield yeah oh man just man, it's, it's good. so awesome and it's like a proper fatality right like so far we've kind of seen like yeah we've seen souls getting sucked out of bodies and we've got a broken neck but this is the first like mortal combat energy like spines getting ripped out like gore yeah. on the screen like yeah it's kind of like a viscous lava but for a pg-13 like that's about as good as it gets yeah it is it is very much so the final note on that battle is Johnny Cage gets to be a genuine badass. Again, so good at so good at establishing his character. Like he's the lovable dickhead. He kind of like isn't the strongest fighter. He kind of gets by on like being wily. He's always got like a trick sure. up his sleeve. He always But this one is like, no, in a pinch, he can fucking jump down there and saw blade your ass in half. Well, there's also the fact that he takes hits that have killed previous combatants. Like he the he takes mm-hmm. a double kick to the chest that took out uh Eddie Gordo earlier right. from from Scorpion. Like Johnny Cage is not one to be fucked with by any any definition of the word. Like this is the fight where it shows that Johnny Cage is literally a contender. Yep. Agreed. And deservedly so, I think. Lyndon mm-hmm. Ashby, the actor for Johnny Cage, it did an incredible job. Um Agreed. After that, we move directly into a next fight on the beach. Liu Kang versus Katana. It's just a fight on the beach by two people who like each other a little bit without yeah, ever having looks. never having met. They can just feel it. Because you know when a woman looks at you like that, it usually means something. Don't forget she's 10,000 years old. Um, <laughs> There's that. <laughs> so that, that fight ends quickly. Shang Tsung is like, I'm disappointed in you, Katana. Fight's over. Fuck you guys. I'm out. The next fight is Lou versus Sub-Zero. Another one that stuck out in my memory. Again, the, the lighting for these fights is so mm-hmm. indicative of the combatants. Like the Scorpion mm-hmm. fight, once you're out of the forest, is all of these like dark oranges and reds and yellows and blacks, where the Sub-Zero fight is all of these different shades of blue and these colder colors with grays and mm-hmm. whites and blacks mixed in. 
it's very very well done um mm-hmm. the fight itself is not super impressive there's some really interesting acrobatics that kind of happens and raiden leaves a bottle a, bu- a bucket of water behind that Liu Kang uses to spear Sub-Zero through the chest because of Katana's advice, which is fine. I agree. I think it. when I say memorable, it is kind of what you just talked about. It is the lighting and the atmosphere and also just the final method of dispatch, that final fatality. Just, I think it gets at the heart of what a lot of fans like about Mortal Kombat. It's really not about the gore. Like, we're not a bunch of sadists. We just like creativity, you know? Yeah. Just like... Deploy the swing around the water bucket, freeze it in the air, turn into a spear. It's just, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun, and it's memorable. After this fight, Shang Tsung summons Goro, and apparently Goro absolutely kicks ass. Goro straight montage. up murders like what, like twelve people in just a series. All you see are bodies falling on the ground after Goro hits them. Yeah, talk about new metal and butt rock. This is where we need the drowning pool. Just yeah, let yeah, let the bodies hit the, hit the floor. floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that, our only named black character, Art Lean, who we haven't really seen much since he interacted with Johnny, but he gets to fight Goro and gets his shop wrecked. Absolutely. I have an issue with this fight. There's nothing much to say about it. I have two very brief comments. One, Shang Tsung calls it a flawless victory. It was not. Artlene hmm. kicked Goro in the chest, hit him a couple True. of times. That's not flawless. Two, the eye effect pulling Artlene's soul from his body for 1995 was fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Like, agreed. Damn, that was cool. I get where you're coming from, though, but also, like, if you do attack, but it does no damage, does that count as a flawless victory? Maybe that was telling of, like, how little impact it made upon Goro. Like the life bar didn't tick down, which usually in, like in a game, right? You're still, you're, you're taking block damage. So that really speaks it, to how it, little like, effect it he had. Hit him in the, he hit him in like the stomach and the weird torso area between his two arm places. Goro has weird Second anatomy. Um, yeah. So like, it's not like he was blocked. He just like took the hits. Right. Which is even worse. Yeah. Could be an oversight. Could be an oversight. Open um, for interpretation. But we have we don't have any other characters left at this point. We have no fighters left except for our trio. Mm-hmm. Which is the way it should be. And despite the high. fact that, that Raiden has basically told them they should not make moves. Don't make waves, basically. Johnny Cage decides to say, fuck that. I'm going to go up to Shang Tsung and demand to fight Goro. But before he does that, he has a romantic interlude with Sonya Blade. Yes, he does. And Another favorite line, a favorite interaction of mine. Yeah, get it. You are the most selfish, egotistical person I've ever met. You forgot good looking. So good. <laughs> it's so good every time. Every time it's so good. Uh, but he goes up to Shang Tsung and says, I want to fight Goro. Shang Tsung says, this is a weird request. I was planning on saving you for later for some reason. There's no one left. So why? Um... <laughs> But he says he will approve the fight with Johnny Cage and Goro if after the fight, Shang Tsung can challenge the winner or someone of his choice in a location of his choice for final combat. That's not a good deal. But Johnny Cage says, fuck it. Yes, done. I want to do this. And Raiden is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, I wasn't here. 
for the deal. Hang on. Deal's set. Johnny Cage basically says, this is our fight. Back off. We're the mortals. Mm -hmm. You're not. It is our fight to fight and leaves. And Christopher Lambert in maybe my favorite line reading of his is just like, finally, one of them understands. Yeah. And along with that line, we've got like peak like Jedi master energy in these scenes. Yeah. Right? Like Raiden's gone full like beige robe. Yeah, he is. He was very much some weird force ghost Obi-Wan Kenobi action going on. <laughs> um, he gets it. He's living in the moment. He's Shang Tsung in it. Just going for it. OK, so Cage versus Goro battle before the battle even starts. Have we discussed the Goro guard bros? What are these? OK, so there are two dudes that are ninjas working for Shang Tsung that don't wear masks. Right. Like everyone, everyone else is wearing the red hood thing. There are two bros that don't wear masks that are at every Goro fight and they do nothing but cheer for Goro. <laughs> Somehow I didn't notice these guys. They are the dumbest, most lovable characters <laughs> I have ever seen. All they all they say is Goro. <laughs> That's Keep all they say, and they absolutely fucking love this four-armed, two-legged turtle man. I mean, who wouldn't? He's a reigning champ. But I, I just wanted to ask if you noticed those two guys. I did not. Well, I needed God. an excuse to go back and watch again. Yeah. Or do I need an excuse? But now I have one. God, they're so they're so cute. Uh, this this battle though, this battle is fucking spotless. So many good things about it. The the let's dance line returns we get the initial cage theme returning yeah we get the nut shot oh the dick punch right like we had the moment we had the previous battle that established like hey johnny cage can kick ass when he needs to like courageously valiantly but also like he ain't above a dick punch no he's not we also have i probably have said multiple times favorite line of the movie but this is it those are 500 dollars sunglasses asshole and then not only so we have like Goro like clinging to the edge of the precipice, right? We have a second one liner and it's a callback. Uh -huh. This is where you fall down. Not one, but two just pure chef's kiss gold. Like this is as good as it gets, folks. Masterful. So I have I have one comment about that. I think it is a perfect usage of both lines. However, you would think Goro would be a better climber. <laughs> you would think he's got extra appendages. He's using one out of four arms. He's got three just dangling there. Right? He's using one out of one out of four arms and none of his legs. <laughs> like he is effectively an insect. He should be better at climbing than that. Um, he probably is a fine climber. It just I imagine his, the thought his balls never hurt even so crossed bad. his mind. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That <laughs> take your mind off of it. Men of strategies. Everybody knows you can't climb when you've been hitting the nuts. It's just you can't do it. Um, I mean, I'm amazed he clings on as long as he does. You wouldn't see me clinging to the precipice under those conditions. I would have fallen right off. Yeah. Uh, after Cage wins, Shang Tsung kidnaps Sonya using his... Damseled again. Fucking Christ. Damseled again. Even though it seems like Sonya is probably the most independent of all of these characters. Um, right. We just can't think of anything else to do with her at this this point in the narrative, I guess. Yeah. And he doesn't just damsel. He grabs her by the hair. Like he drags her by the hair like a fucking caveman. 
and says that he is stealing her away for final combat in the location of his choice. Liu Kang under understands what's happening here and basically says Sonya has to accept the combat. Otherwise, it cannot be fought legally. It is not mortal combat unless she accepts the challenge. Raiden says, I have nothing less left to teach you, my son. And Johnny Cage and Liu Kang jump to the outworld. So this is outworld, huh? I can see why they want to change the scenery. Yeah. Okay. Outworld has the most spirit Halloween mixed with a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of after Beetlejuice takes over the house in Beetlejuice. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what it looks like. Like they uh-huh. zoom in on one of the gargoyles and the insides of its chest has a little head in it. And it looks like Beetlejuice's shrunken head at the end of fucking <laughs> Beetlejuice. Like it is. It made me laugh more than it made me creeped out. Um, yeah. We've got Beetlejuice. We also have Nightmare Before Christmas because, jump on ahead a little bit, but after bicycle kicking reptile into oblivion. The bugs. It fucking turns into oogie boogie bugs. I was confused about that. Yeah, but I didn't get it. That fight was, was very good. Sure. That fight yeah, was very good. I love the bicycle kick coming in. Um, I The soundtrack still kills it. Doing great. The bicycle kick was awesome. Yeah, and you know, I remember like reptile looking like so bad. Like that was one of the things remembering the movie like oh the cg is so bad but honestly it it wasn't like it was bad i think in fact sorry it was bad no it's bad i guess what i mean is on the spectrum of bad cg the mid 90s cg i think i prefer to like the mid aughts where it was like starting to get into that uncanny valley area where like it's good enough to resemble what it wants to resemble but it's still so far removed from like what it should be that it this is like almost cartoonish to the point where like, oh, it's like having like a like a Roger Rabbit style like animation, like not on that level, of course. But like, yeah, it's this own like independent animated thing separate from the diegesis of the world. And I can just sort of take it at that. It's not sure incorporated yeah, I, enough where I get that 100 percent. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, question. Yeah. Is Liu Kang reptiles dad now? Because he made him. He threw him in that gargoyle and made him into a, into a ninja man. Right. He's not. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I had was uh, a lot of bones here. Uh, Bone-constructed decor in this outworld. Think they're real, or are they iron castings? I really hope iron castings, because I don't think, I don't think Shao Tsung would... Uh, or Shao... Fuck. <laughs> They've merged. Fusion. Yeah. I don't think Shao Kahn would go for uh, just regular bones. They always have to be iron. Yeah, that's more of a Shang something. Uh, so we move on to the last battle of the movie. We have Liu Kang versus Shang Tsung. This is a very, very interesting thing for me because initially Shang Tsung tries to challenge everyone except for Liu Kang. There is a mm-hmm. level of fear there that should make Liu Kang more comfortable, but it's never really mentioned. Um, but as they're walking up to the facility, Katana says that Liu Kang will have to face three challenges. Face your enemy, face yourself, and face your fear. So let's go through those three real fast. When he faces his enemy, Shang Tsung summons the souls of dead combatants. I did not see an Ostrogoth, a Roman wrestler, or a single person <laughs> chanting a Vedic chant. Zero stars. Would not recommend to a friend. 
but <laughs> they did have some cool stuff. There was a samurai. Um, yeah. You know, there 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 were some some cool things there. Obviously, Liu Kang just absolutely whips ass. Part two, face yourself, is apparently a single question. Shang Tsung just looks at him and goes, I've looked into your soul. You will die. That is his second test. And Liu Kang just says, you may have seen my soul, but you don't own it. And he passed the test. That's a shit test. And then part three is face your worst fear. And Shang Tsung turns into his brother and tells him like, hey, you know, it's okay that you let me die. And that's when Liu Kang finally comes to grips with the fact that he had nothing to do with his brother's death, really. It was all Shang Tsung who did it. And I, I have to say, the transformation from Chan to Shang Tsung is fucking spotless. For the time, uh, even now, like, going from that face to Shang Tsung's face in, like, special effects was spectacularly done for the effects they had. I was wildly impressed. You say that, and it is good. But we are also four years removed from 1991's Michael Jackson, Black or White, which I think... Oh, shit, that's pioneered. right. <laughs> maybe that's just, they use the same technology. In a post-Black or White world, like, maybe less affecting, but still good. Still good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, the, just the emotional you, layer to it, it was, right? It was going from uh, Johnny Cage's mentor... And the the weird fire effect they had going to turn into Shang Tsung mm-hmm. to just a flawless Chan to Shang switch out. And after after that happens, it's just absolutely Liu Kang beating ass, just destroying Shang Tsung and summoning a fireball at the end. But it's not just Liu Kang. There are actually four people in this fight. I don't know if you counted. There's Shang Tsung, there's Liu Kang, and then there are also the Immortals, Maurice, Praga Khan, Englund, and Olivier Adams, because that fucking banger of a track comes back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Techno Syndrome, okay. Mortal Kombat. Oh, wait, was, no, you know, I, I miscounted because apparently Maurice didn't have a hand in that one. It was just Olivier, by all accounts. I was genuinely concerned I missed something in this fight scene, <laughs> but yes, no. The It's so good when that kicks in, right? Just fucking... Peak getting amped. Oh, God. That big fucking winged ghost skeleton, man. That right. Shang Tsung summons that goes into the, like, that brings him. Fuck, that's good. Um, It's a great battle. It just. It is a great battle, but apparently no one knows what flawless means. Because <laughs> Liu Kang says flawless victory, and he got beat up a few times. I think he could make it work if he were to, like, sort of brush the, the feathered bangs away and just be like, flawless. Yeah, I I am flawless. Um, The movie ends with a song by Orbital, Halcyon On and On, from also from the movie Hackers from 1995. Is that the track playing like the the post Shang Tsung victory track? They're running out towards back to the temple. That's so good. I meant to make a note. It's like a mixture of like Enigma and like a bit of like Sea Rose and some nineties techno. It's it's a very good song. It's it's also featured as I think the ending song in the movie Hackers. Uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. But movie ends with Raiden saying, I'm so proud of you guys. And then Shao Kahn shows up as a big like shadow specter, breaks a temple and says, I'm here for your souls. And Raiden says, I don't think so. 
and they all get into their fighting stance, and then the Immortals kick back in. Also, who said it better, Macaulay Culkin or Raiden? I'm going to say Raiden. Mm. But it's close. I think I got to go Kevin McAllister, but right, this is a proper duel. And, that, and, and that's the film. That is the film. It is a film. Watching it again, I was just reminded, like, why did I wait all these decades to revisit this childhood favorite? What Dude, a fucking I, great it's time. Go, it's, going to be, it's going to be a movie I watch at least once a year. It's back in rotation, If maybe. not more. Yes. This is Paul Anderson getting it right. We have high praise for the movie, right? It's still... Absolutely. It, it's got a 47% critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. 57 from audiences. Average of 5.8 on IMDb. And I just feel like it deserves... Like, I know. It's... I know what it is. Yeah. But, I mean... I was looking through reviews from the time, and most of them are some variation of it's dumb, the dialogue is bad, the story is confusing, I guess it's not so bad considering it's a video game, you know, very dismissive. But I gotta say, Kevin Thomas, LA Times, Mortal Kombat, which thrives as an arcade game, an animated video, and even a touring stage show, arrives on the big screen with terrific high-energy panache, a martial arts action-adventure with wondrous special effects and witty production design. It effectively combines supernatural terror, a mythical slay the dragon, save the princess odyssey, and even a spiritual quest for self-knowledge. Through its frequent scenes of combat, it manages to remind youthful audiences to confront their fears and take responsibility for their own destiny. That is a really good review. Yeah, I like that. That's beautiful. Well done. Thank you, Kevin Thomas. You, you get it. Let's very, very briefly talk about its sequel. And when I say briefly, I mean, I have very little to say about it. Give it the time it deserves, which is minimal. <laughs> yeah, they recast everyone except for Liu Kang and Katana, which was a big problem. Did you realize that right away? Because I watched this movie to the end and then post-watch was just kind of looking, you know, looking at IMDb, looking online for like factoids and trivia, reading about it and realized that that wasn't Lyndon Ashby. <laughs> oh, see, I knew that initially. I knew that immediately. I, I loved Johnny Cage in the first one so much that I automatically knew that that was not Lyndon Ashby. I did too, but I don't know. Maybe I was paying close attention, but Chris Conrad playing Johnny Cage in the sequel, like what a hell of a doppelganger got me as a fan yeah. of the first movie watching it recently and just... <laughs> They fool. I was like, oh, and most of the cast is back, actually. Like, we're missing Sonya, but <laughs> nope. Anyway, well done. I, I, I just, the entire film, I'm, I'm not even going to do the synopsis because it's so fucking convoluted. And I, I have, I, I was so, I was very excited to watch it. And then I was so incredibly disappointed. Um, oh, if you have trouble with the synopsis, I think I can do that for you. Um, get it. Shao Kahn's here. Demons 2, punch, 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 kick, 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 run, military base, outside, at temple, outworld, uh, punch, 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 kick, 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 the end. Was that a Hemingway short story? Oh, can I do this in six words the, or less? Was that, the, was that the six words that you need to use to make a short story? <laughs> Con here, mortals fight, happy ending. Punch, punch. Punch, <laughs> kick, punch, it's all in the mind. <laughs> There's not um, much to it. Uh, characters show up for no reason like we got Jax suddenly Jax is like pivotal to the whole thing for whatever reason let's go get Jax all, all of the fights for me like they took the fun out of the fights 
like the the camera work and the fight choreography i i would say would be was down like 60 percent from the first film for me yeah because you could see that there were stunt fighters in every scene yeah where in the first movie i could not find one uh is this mortal kombat oops all stunt doubles (laughs) yeah it was mortal kombat oops all doubles Yeah. And and James James Remar is a great actor. Like I love seeing him in stuff, but he was an absolute garbage pants Raiden. <laughs> and it was not his fault. Yeah, he took a different approach, but what could he have really done? I guess he could have tried to go Tommy Wiseau, but you know, he can't really pull that no, ripcord. You twice. never go full Wiseau. You never, <laughs> never go, go full Wiseau. It is sort of um it's the same intro to the movie like the same drop of the everyone's favorite track yeah. the the emblem the fire like the flames the they slicing They just blow the font. emblem up at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh we're in for another like fun wild ride. We're back with the same vibes and it's I timed it as exactly 2 minutes and 26 seconds into the movie when I realized no this is not the same ride. We're on a very different no. ride here. It took that long. Like the first couple of minutes were promising. Like, oh, confuse me. Thought we had the same cage. Robin shows back as Liu Kang. Yeah, we're different Sonya. Okay. But maybe we're in the same location. So they're like, and they're doing a recap of the previous movie. So like they are like trying to continue the spirit of this. And as soon as the Outworld warriors show up and just the absolute piss poor, just dog shit blending of them in with that green screen in the background. Like they didn't even try. And like Shao Kahn's party city ass skull mask. Raiden leaping at Khan, just like you can see the outline of like where they cut him out. Like I could take my non-dominant hand on the mouse and like lasso tool, probably a better <laughs> job like, than they're doing here. So, so when they zoom in on Sonya in the first movie, when she's in Outworld and she's in the leather dress, you can see that there's green screen behind her. Mm-hmm. It is relatively obvious. That is the only scene in the movie that I noticed that. And it was maybe five seconds, if not less. The entirety of Annihilation, I was seeing shit like that in every scene where I'm like, well, that was clipped. Well, that's green screen. (laughs) Well, that's bad CG. Well, that's that. And like, no one seemed happy to be there. No one seemed excited about the entire process. No. In that way, it's almost like, is it the ultimate video game movie? Like, not only are we using lore and characters and fun bits from the game, but we are actually, the resolution on everyone is so low in these like blurry ass green screened <laughs> scenes that they resemble the rotoscoped characters from the original fighting games. The only way it could have actually worked is if someone like clipped through a wall. <laughs> it was like Liu Kang's running through a wall and just clips into it and then through it and then just dies. I will say, like, it's a bad movie, and, like, we're talking about all the negative stuff. They do pull a lot of stuff out of the games, which, like, so there was some intent to do something for the fans, right? Like, characters getting uppercut through the ceiling, right? Like, a lot of fatalities are here. They're pulling in a lot of, like, more off-the-radar characters, you know? Nightwolf. Nightwolf. <laughs> Nightwolf is. is here. In fact, uh, he's the one that teaches us to... Find that power inside you. Feel your animality, your animality, your animality, your animality, your animality. By the way, that end sequence with the animalities was. (laughs) Are there words? It was Clash of Titans level special effects. 
like 1960s, 1970s levels, but they should have just done claymation and said, fuck it. <laughs> they should that's, have, yeah. That's fine. Everything I said about Reptile in the first movie, it doesn't it no longer applies. Yeah, like... This is too much. Everything looks so much worse than Reptile did. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, like, the fun stuff, like, like I was saying, uppercut through the ceiling. We've got Sub-Zero's, like, ice clone, like, ice dummy. We've got Katana's yeah. fans finally on display. Like... There's uh, a lot of Armand fun Summons stuff here. Noob Sabot. Yeah, I know who those people are now. Yeah, you're you're a true fan now. I mean, when you read through the novel, like you you get your fan card for sure. Well, when you discover Ermac and Noob Sabot, it's it's over. There's just um, like a, also like just a lot of unnecessary but just fun like weird world building bits, like the balls that race through the the ant hill network of tunnels. No, I don't under that. That's not that's not fun world building. It's not, it's fun for Lou and Katana because they get to be in that sexy pose and just like all the sensuality unleashed, but it's very not fun. Decidedly awkward for Sonya. Like you got to be right up against Raiden for the remainder. And it's not great for the viewer either, which I think is the most important part. (laughs) It's not. No. And this is pre Raiden's uh, fresh new cut too. Like he does when he goes mortal, he cuts the hair off, which, okay. Like, he cuts the hair, he shows up like I'm a mortal now, right? And my first thought is, oh, his godhood is tied up in his hair, like Samson. Like, Samson wasn't yeah. a god, but just his strength is in his hair, and just the cutting of the locks must have been some part of the process. But then later on, like, Katana basically says, like, no, his choice to lead the mortals is what removed him from godhood. So he just did that? Just And it's yeah. not even like he just cut it. He, he dyed that shit. <laughs> oh, and then... At the end of the movie, he's no longer the god of thunder. He's now the god of wind. Yeah. They make him an elder god at the end of the film. Like, oh, no, I, I know you sacrificed your godhood because you did stuff. And then you cut your hair because apparently you wanted like a fresh look. And then you killed your dad or like let your dad get killed. So we're going to make you the new elder god of wind. And then I'm water and she's fire. And there's only three of us because that makes sense. (laughs) Who needs fucking earth? Right. And, you know, I think personally he should have been the god of fields of gold because he'd be looking just like Sting. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is Raiden the god of tantric sex? That's what they were doing in that ball. That's that's what took so long. That's that's why Sonya Blade felt so awkward talking to Jax later on. Oh, oh, speaking speaking of Sonya Blade feeling awkward, they included a mud wrestling scene because she looks good in mud. Yeah, no, Jax made sure to point that out. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I understand that they made Sonya the damsel in the first movie and there was no real reason to, but like Sonya and Katana were both independent, strong characters that functioned on their own outside of the male characters. And they're just like, hey, you know what? We're going to kidnap Katana. Jade's going to be a backstabbing person Mm -hmm. and Sonya Blade is going to have to mud wrestle. All your favorite female tropes are here. Yeah, that's what we're going to do now. That's what we're going to do. They establish them as like strong, independent forces to be reckoned with and then just do nothing with that setup. They just throw them into the same situations as usual. It's just such a a missed opportunity. But I mean, who has time to really give any particular character their due when we just have so many coming on and off screen for usually little to no reason? We've got like all the the Cyrax and, and Sector, like the 
the robo characters uh-huh. here just to like and smoke smoke was Smoke's there here we got baraka in i want to say like shao khan is peak like fucking spirit halloween mask that, that ever is, existed you see yeah spirit halloween i was reminded of the disney channel original movie halloween town and thought he would fit right in i, on the streets I of thought of town. the goosebumps episode the haunted oh, mask also also good choice all good choices to reinforce the fact bad that choices it's for a bad a choice. Big yeah. budget film. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even try. Just so much of this. Like, there's that. It's like the first scene in the movie, I want to say. It's when Xiao's coming in, right? And Liu Kang is like, Yeah. I thought Mortal Kombat was supposed to close those portals. And Raiden says, What closes can open again? To which Sonya responds, What's that supposed to mean? And they just leave it at that. And Sonya, it means nobody tried. <laughs> nobody. They didn't even care enough to try with any of this. Like, just. It is what it is. There, there was genuinely no reason for this film. The first Mortal Kombat movie should have ended with Raiden going, I am just so proud of you guys as they're walking toward the Temple of Light. Mm-hmm. And that would have been fine. That would have been great. Because we eventually get back to that in the final scene of this one, right? They all like link arms and like trot off into the sunset, yeah. you know? Friends forever. Down but, one Johnny yeah, Cage. I just... There's just, there's so much wrong with this film. Like, it feels like a collage to me, like a kid with like scissors and paste that just like, if Mortal Kombat were like condensed into magazines and they just like clipped out a bunch of ideas and like, you know, just like pasted all these ideas together. If they took like 14 pages from Jeff Rovin's seminal novel, Mortal Kombat, a novel based on characters created for the Midway Manufacturing Company by John Tobias and Ed Boon. Um... And just said, okay, let's take the character names we have here. That dude's a centaur. That person has an extra couple of arms. Those are two cyborgs. We got a man with some metal arms here, but he's a good guy. Let's get some new ninjas. Sub-Zero's son has got to be in there, but he's got a weird scar on his face. But he's going to be kind of a good guy, but not really a good guy. Scorpion's back, but he's not really back, but he's kind of back. We're not (laughs) sure if he's back. Just he's here. Just he's here. That's it. Just enjoy. Rain is Rain is here. We got a, a character named Rain, but he does fuck all. Uh, the three elder gods, they're useless. Um, so that's fun. It's very much an X-Men 3 last stand level of like just clusterfuck to the finish. Yeah. Even we even have like Johnny Cage like leaving in the, the first scene, kind of like a James Marsden, like, oh, I see this shit train coming. Did we forget to mention they kill off Johnny Cage in the first five minutes of the fucking movie? Yeah, I guess not. Like, he's gone, right? Like, leaps into Shao Kahn, just broken neck. And does... Mm, they could have done the same shadow kick. Yeah. That they did in the first... No, they give him the green tint from the mm. video game. Everything is based on the video game in this movie. Yeah. Like, even Shao Kahn's, like, shoulder dash thing. Like, it, ugh, fuck off. Like, the whole <laughs> thing, the entire film was just fuck off. Fuck off, but also, like, we said we weren't going to talk about it, and I've found myself throughout this conversation, right? I found myself throughout this conversation just, like, laughing and, like, remembering funny shit. I gotta say, like, it's so bad, but it does, it crosses a line. It is so bad that it is, like, a fun watch, at least once in your life, if you have any interest in the first movie or the games. Like, like just watch the shit show unfold and be there for just, like, Cause there was just like so many great, like the night wolf lines, like the scorpions, like he says it in his get over here register, the suckers as he like portals out, 
like there's just it's so goddamn goofy in like some of the best ways at times it is very tedious in other ways like Jax's I think it's Jax's final line in the movie one of the last things he said was that was the longest week of my life and I just felt that yeah in my core it you very much have to feel that like a series I just binged like it just dragged on so I I watched them back to back Mm -hmm. which was a mistake because the first movie, the fight choreography is very, very good. The second movie is very frenetic because there are there's never a fight scene where it's one person against another person. Every fight scene has one person against another person, but at the same time, there's another two people against each other, possibly two other pairs against each other. So it's constantly going back and forth to all of these different fight scenes, and you just want it to fucking calm down a second Hmm. and so i i left mortal Kombat kind of the first one chill and comfortable and enjoyed it and then i hit this and i'm like fuck i'm anxious there's so am i having a panic attack what is happening i don't like any of this you can see why it took plus two decades to to come back after this this yeah I, i may have to i may have to revisit annihilation later and see if i feel any differently it's got like a four percent on rotten tomatoes critically the audience is 25 percent, 3.6 on imdb so i was looking through and like there weren't really a lot of surprises like all of the reaction was just kind of what we talked about like oh my god this is like the the effects the costumes the acting is so bad but i was like curious i went digging like let me find because obviously like with all with so many ones and twos floating around who's dragging up this average so a lot of like I found a lot of like actual sixes and sevens that were surprising to me. And they're usually of the variety of this is an exciting movie to watch. The action never stops from beginning to end, which <laughs> feel that Fair. amazing music. Yeah, yeah, I can't I can't argue. Right. There's problems with story and direction, but it's fun to watch. Right. A lot of those. I, I just I found two user reviews that I, I thought were interesting. Not as good as MK1, but not the worst film ever from El Paz 79903, <laughs> December 7, 2005. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Warning I mean, spoilers. They... This movie shouldn't even be in the worst 100 list on any website. Okay, maybe it wasn't as good as part one, but it did introduce new characters. The plot somewhat went along with the game, and it was good to see old actors from part one come back and reprise their roles. Two things that would have made me give this movie an eight rating. Number one, would have loved to have seen Christopher Lambert reprise his role of Raiden instead of this other guy. Okay. Us too. Can't disagree. Number two, lame CGI when it came to the animality scene towards the end would have worked better with showing somewhat real animals, to which I have to ask. (laughs) What real animals are a dragon and a hydra, my man? Other than that, the movie is okay in my book. Eight out of ten. Which I thought... The 8 out of 10 was contingent upon replacing, like, bringing back Christopher Lambert, but okay, I'm not gonna, not gonna nitpick. Final review I just want to highlight. 10 out of 10. Headline, I love the woman in blue from Token Mario 17760. This is a recent one, January 1st, 2021. Once again, warning, spoilers. Sorry? Sure, yeah. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm buckled in, ready to hear what this guy has to say. Uh, Once again, warning, spoilers. I love the woman in blue. It was 12 months ago that I said this out loud as Sonya Blade first runs into Jax. 
I behaved this way because it was the result of the hot happy meal, a tonal evolution that was instigated by magic. End of review. 10 out of 10. Can you read that one more time, please? I can try. (laughs) (laughs) I love the woman in blue. It was 12 months ago. Actually, you know what I should do? I should read this with the, uh, like, let's transport ourselves to the Outworld coffee shop. Put on your beret, your shades, channel your, your inner, uh, uh, what, is her, what is her name? Doug Funny, Judy Funny. Okay? Oh, God. My, my beret is raspberry. <laughs> it, is the only, it is the only beret to have. That's true. Sure. I love the woman in blue. It was 12 months ago that I said this out loud as Sonya Blade first runs into Jax. I behave this way because it was the result of the hot, happy meal, a tonal evolution that was instigated by magic. I want to talk to this man (laughs) so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, fuck. (laughs) That is Mortal Kombat 1995, as well as Mortal Kombat Annihilation 1997. That's the full series. We are aware there was a recent reboot in the last few years. I don't really have yeah, anything to say about it. Yeah, there's been TV shows and animated specials and stuff like there's that. There's a lot more out there. We wanted to focus on, you know, Our this. favorites. Uh, I do have a new segment to introduce, if you're down, real fast. Absolutely. Today, I would like to invite you to Bo's Trivia Corner. stuff okay these are all facts about the 1995 mortal kombat movie that i have discovered through google and imdb and accorded and sundry sites the first one you know how we talked about kano's accent i do so apparently as we are both aware the character of kano in the original game according to jeff roven was japanese american right however Ed Boone and John Tobias were so impressed with how Trevor Goddard portrayed him in the movie that they retconned Kano's history in future games to make him Australian. Got it. Which they thought was Goddard's nationality. The problem is, they later learned that Goddard had a Cockney accent, which they and many viewers confused for Australian, and that Goddard himself was actually born in England. (laughs) However... Goddard had gone along with the whole thing and claimed to be of Australian descent until his death in 2003, <laughs> probably because it made him easier to land movie roles. I'm glad I buckled up. What a roller coaster of trivia that just was. I went through the whole range of emotion, like feeling sort of like shame, like public shame of like, I just admitted on air that I don't know the difference between Australian and Cockney. But, okay, I'm not alone in this. Oh, in fact, I'm definitely not alone in this because the source of the accent just leaned into it. He straight up told people, agents, directors, writers, that he was Australian when he was Cockney because he thought it would make him more, like, accessible. Yeah, I shouldn't say leaned into it. Uh, Fully stepped forward and and changed position. But, I mean, I, I did not know what his accent was when I first witnessed Kano in that movie like that mm-hmm. that's a that's a really good one for me and the fact that they went back and retconned him in future games uh R.I.P. Trevor Goddard well done mm. 
That's the right kind of retconning. No midi chlorines yes, here. Yes, it is. Uh, I know you were kind of questionable about Christopher Lambert's portrayal of Raiden in yeah, the film. Questionable is the right word. Questioning what exactly it is. The goal so, he was attempting to um, achieve. Interesting, interesting thing. Apparently, director Paul Anderson said that the only reason he made it through this movie was because of Christopher Lambert. Lambert was the like the longest standing actor on in the cast. Lambert is also a serious gamer, apparently. No kidding. And was aware of the character that he played and was excited to play it. What? He ad-libbed a lot of his laughs and extra lines. Okay, definitely see that. And he was also the person who was responsible for paying for the entire rap party for the film. Wow. Like, just, good I just man. want to give the Highlander a hug. Like, that's just, that's just good man. Yeah. That's, that's the wholesome bit of trivia I needed. Yeah. It really is. It's very comforting. That's, that's nice. I like that. Um, Ed Boone of the Midway Manufacturing Company, mm-hmm. along with John Tobias, was the voice of Scorpion. Really? Yeah. In the original game. Same voices in the game. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. Fun. Fun factoid. I'm liking this segment. Okay. So Robin Shu playing Liu Kang was one of the head fight coordinators and choreographers for the film. He has a lot of experience in like Asian filmmaking, especially those that focus on a lot of martial arts. Mm, right. So he had a lot of experience and Paul Anderson tapped his experience to help him through a lot of things. Robin Shu had a rating system for every fight that took place in the movie. From one to three, can you guess what the numbers were rated? Like, can you guess what those numbers meant? I also would like to point out before you before you say anything, um, they did. All of the actors did not like to use stunt doubles in this film, which is why you don't see a lot of them. The only person who used a stunt double was Lyndon Ashby, and it was in one scene. Really? That's um, badass. Bridget Wilson Sampras would not. She did every fight herself, and obviously Robin Shu and, and Kari did as well. No kidding. Um, yeah, so they all... That's one of the reasons why I think Annihilation struck me as so weird was I kept note. Christopher Lambert did also a lot of his own stunts. Um, I just noticed so many stunt doubles in there that it threw me off a little bit. But what do you think the one to three rating was based on? I mean, my knee jerk sort of my knee jerk answer was either prowess or like level of danger or like inherent uh, difficulty of the the maneuvers. You're close with danger. It was the amount of broken ribs caused in filming the fight. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> what earned the top spot? Apparently, How many are we talking? Apparently, uh, it was the reptile fight. Really? Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Liu Kang broke, or, yeah, broke two ribs, or fractured two ribs in that fight, and said to take it easy on him to finish it out. Wow. Uh, Bridget Wilson-Sampras dislocated her shoulder in the fight with Kano. And had them relocate it on site to finish filming. Damn, do you think uh, that's where we got that guttural just... That's <laughs> what it was from, yeah. yeah. That's that. where the, the, the Sonya scream, the new, the new Wilhelm scream is the Sonya scream. I can just imagine Paul Anderson like down there like, you know, on his haunches like, I know this is tough, but like, this is great content. Like, this is gold. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> I know this is really here. tough, but we, we got to make it work. That makes me so glad we've been like mostly 
in like uh we've mostly praised this film because yeah to know how hard they were working and what they were going through wow so there is in the reptile fight there are symbols hidden around the room there are three of them repeating over and over again it is the mortal Kombat dragon symbol a girl and a question mark Mm -hmm. if you do those three symbols twice in a row question mark girl and mortal Kombat logo repeating it's a cheat code and it would just switch your character at random nice that's that's great that's top tier um throughout a lot of these fights the characters like bow or salute each other in certain ways Mm -hmm. so i was curious about this so i looked some of them up the ones i wanted to focus on were the two in the Liu kang versus shang sung fight Liu kang does a pose where his uh left hand is at a 45 degree angle and his right fist is meeting it Mm -hmm. and he holds it forward this is called the propitious salute and it shows a respect for whoever you're about to fight i see shang sung has done this to raiden as well three times twice in the movie he holds his left hand out horizontally level and puts his right fist on top of it and moves it forward. And this is apparently it's called the infelicitous salute. And it's a sign of mourning or disrespect from one fighter to another. Oh, that's so good. So it's just like Liu Kang is walking in completely like respectful and confident ready to go and shang sung is basically like i hold you in absolute contempt and he did it to raiden too i love that that dimension is there what a sassy pants like the percentage of people that would recognize that too right but they just took the care they had enough thought to include that yeah it's really really good and bo's last trivia fight fight bo's last trivia fact of Bo's Trivia Corner for today is my favorite one I found out about this film. This film is not wildly critically renowned. It's a, I mean, we just watched it. We enjoyed it. It's a great film. Yeah, it's, it's a bit fun. Of a it's, a, it's a popcorn movie. Yeah. It brought to America the current standard in martial art filmmaking. Really? Mortal Kombat is the first time that wirework martial arts has been used on the big screen in America. Wow. Made famous by the Matrix films. Paul Anderson and company. Robin Chu. Yeah. The whole crew. Um, Hats off. The, the, the Scorpion hell scene fight and the reptile fight were both added on after the fact. Because test audiences didn't think there was enough fighting in the movie. So they brought in two other fight scenes. Robin Shu did all the choreography and he was like, hey, I've been working with people in Asia. We do a lot of wire work stuff. What if we did this? And that's why those two fight scenes are seen as the two best fight scenes in the movie. Oh, that's so cool. Because they used like traditional Asian filmmaking martial arts techniques and brought them to the States. Right, because that was his uh, that was his background, right? That's yeah. awesome. Also, like these test audiences, like wasn't a fighting. Um, have you all heard of a movie called Mortal Kombat Annihilation? Because I think I have just the movie for you. 
Yeah, it's, it's nothing. Buckle but. up, kids. Yeah. <laughs> all fights. Oops, all fights. Oops, all fights. But yes, that is that is all of my trivia. Well done. And that is all that we have to say about these two films, I think. I think from here, there's really only one logical place to go. Are you saying we should play a Mortal Kombat video game? I think we need to, right? We've talked about it by way of novels. We've talked about it by way of feature films. Let's talk about it by way of what it apparently does best. What it's meant to be seen as. Yeah. Um, so many choices. I mean, it's a long-running franchise. It transcends console generations. It's still running to this day. It's about to be rebooted in the next few weeks. It's yeah. going to be tough. I think we're going to have to really sit down, talk this through, and decide what game makes the most sense for us. We're going to have to choose a special title. Yeah. To One play. that I think would really encapsulate the series as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I, th- I think it would be a hard choice, but I, th- I, think, I think we have the wherewithal to go through this. We'll be back in two weeks to unveil what that game is. We will be back in two weeks to unveil whatever Mortal Kombat title we feel encapsulates our feelings toward it. As usual, quick housekeeping stuff. Please email us your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, whatever at sourcenotfoundpod at gmail.com. Find us on Discord at sourcenotfound. We are on Patreon, sourcenotfoundpodcast. Shout out to our first patron. Thank you so much to Susie Daggs. Susie Daggs. Susie. Friendship. Um, Brandon, tell us about your Twitch stream. What have you been up to, man? Oh, yeah. So in the meantime, when I'm not podcasting here with you, I also stream games on Twitch at varying degrees of skill. You can find me under Lejunebug, L-E-J-E-U-N-E-B-U-G. And if you do follow and come by, maybe every once in a while, you might get a little glimpse of what games are coming your way on this here show. Might get a little sneak peek. You love to hear that. Uh, But until two weeks from now, test your might. (laughs) Flawless podcast. (laughs) Flawless podcasting. Mortals out.